Pastor George here. I wanted to take a second and thank you for checking out our online messages. Our prayer is that this resource will challenge you, encourage you, and empower you as you uh, dig deeper in your relationship with Christ. But in no way will it replace God's plan for your active involvement in a local church. I do want to take a second and ask you to uh, prayerfully consider as you participate and listen to this resource, partnering with Revive as we uh, pursue our mission of seeing people live their fullest life in Christ. You can do this by going online to revivechurchga.com backslash give and making a one-time donation or setting up a recurring gift. It's through the generosity of others that we're able to provide um, a resource like this one. With that being said, uh, I do want to thank you again, and here is today's message. Um, the title of today's message is actually called Back to the Basics. Um, I'm used to doing PowerPoints, but I didn't get a PowerPoint together today for everyone. So if you did want to use your phones to actually look at the scripture, you most definitely can. So you can follow along. Usually I use the NIV. So um, it's actually taken from Matthew chapter 13, verses 1 to 23. So in this case, I'll wait if you guys want to let me know that you found a scripture. I can definitely um, wait before going forward. Uh, Matthew chapter 13, verses 1 to 23. And I'll pray as well while you guys are um, looking for it. So Matthew 13, <laughs> 1 to 23. Okay. Um, Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for your word. We thank you, O oh God, for providing everything that we needed before we needed it, Lord God. Thank you, God, for being here right now with us. And we just lift you up in praise, and we give you all the glory, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So that same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow, but when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. The disciples came to him and asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, Because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, 
and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become callous. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, because they see, and your ears, because they hear. For truly I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. So Jesus, known as God's Son, comes down from heaven and he teaches us about the kingdom of heaven. He says that we need to make it a priority. And that is because its functioning or operation is quite different than any other kingdom and its effects goes beyond the physical. We need to seek it first and everything we need, Jesus promises, would be provided. Matthew 6 verse 33. So what is this kingdom of heaven? Well, one, the kingdom of heaven means God reigns. The New Interpretable Bible Commentary on Math uses the phrase, the kingdom of heaven with the kingdom of God interchangeably. In the phrase, the kingdom of heaven, the author says, does not refer to the place of God's dwelling, but instead is used in place of God's name. And this is because the Jewish people were afraid of saying God using his name in vain, basically. And kingdom, in the kingdom of heaven, is a verbal noun whose meaning is not territory, but ruling power. It means reign or rule. Often best translate to both the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God to mean God's reign. So the sovereign power of God functioning as king. Two, the kingdom is dynamic. It is not static. Dynamic means a force that stimulates change or progress within a system or process. Static means not moving or changing. The kingdom of heaven is a kingdom of progress, of profit, of positive change. Kingdom in the phrase kingdom of heaven is a noun of action. Just like the love of God means God's acting in love for others, so also God's kingdom means God's active sovereignty over creation. 
So the kingdom has eternal, past, present, and future aspects. The kingdom cannot be located temporarily, like the Roman Empire or the Aztec Empire. Um, you can think of it all, all the kingdoms out there, or the Jewish kingdom, I guess. But it is a process that moves through history to the end times. So God does not just reign in this moment. He reigns forever. Three, the kingdom is spiritual. Luke 17 verses 20 says, Once on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, The coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. It is among us and very present all around us. It is manifested only through obedience to the Spirit. But lack of manifestation does not mean it is not present or it's not powerful. And that is why we are in the greatest times since the fall of men. For we have access to the kingdom when the kings and the prophets before us long to see it. John the Baptist was great, but we are even greater than him. Matthew 11, 11, Truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. For in our day and our time, God reigns. The kingdom of God is manifested when you see a display of God's power. As seen with Jesus when he heals the sick, he raised the dead, or he delivered people from evil spirit. Matthew chapter 12, verse 28. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. So teaching plainly about the kingdom seems like something that Jesus would want to do with everyone. So why does Jesus teach in parables about the kingdom? Well, one he did it because they would not understand if he spoke plainly. C.H. Dodd's definition of a parable. At its simplest, the parable is a metaphor or simile drawn from nature or common life, arresting the hearer by its vividness or strangeness, and leaving the mind in sufficient doubt about its precise application to tease it into active thought. Jesus used common life situation of that day, which was a farmer, seeds, soil, sun, and birds, and he causes his listeners to think by applying their everyday life with the principles of the kingdom. Two, which is really a continuation of one, it can only be seen through the spirit. The people were used to physical things. They were used to what they saw with their physical eyes. They could not understand the spiritual things. So the only way Jesus can get their minds to stare differently would be to use parables. He was using the everyday works of life as an example to provoke them to think, to see beyond their current circumstances or situations and see in the spirit. But still yet, they could not understand. And Isaiah explains why. It is as though they hear, but they are not really listening. The de definition of listening means Pay attention, attentive, concentrate on. They see, but they don't perceive. The definition of perceive means to come to realize or understand something, to discern. 
So Jesus said if only they would really concentrate on his words or come to realize or discern the kingdom, they would understand with their hearts, turn to God, in which case turn means to change course or direction, and he would heal them. God wants to tease us into active thoughts about his kingdom and to see things the way he does. So the story of the farmer. What is Jesus saying to his listeners? And there are six things that he is saying. One, Jesus is saying there are some people who are not going to understand the message of the kingdom. Verse four, they are the seeds sown along the path. When Jesus reveals something to us pertaining to the kingdom, in some cases there are individuals who refuse to believe. Great example is the Pharisees and the religious leaders of that time, who represent people who are stuck in their ways. They refuse to accept anything different from what they were taught or what their situations tell them. They have essentially missed the mark already. John 6:41 says at this the Jews there began to grumble about him because he said I am the bread that came down from heaven they said is this not Jesus the son of Joseph whose father and mother we know how can he now say I came down from heaven verse 60 on hearing it many of his disciples said this is a hard teaching who can accept it Verse 66, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. These verses from this chapter shows the flow of rejection of Jesus because he was not what they wanted or what they expected. They were not attentive to his words, nor did they discern its meaning. So they have shut their eyes and closed their ears. Two, Jesus is saying that some people receive too quickly with joy, but with no root. Verses 5 and 6, they are on rocky ground. This category is of people who like what they hear. It seems like it's the answer to the situation. And after hearing the word, they're excited, full of joy, ready to go and die for Jesus right now. It reminds me of an auction saying, going once, going twice, sold. We just want another heart for Jesus. Let's get them baptized and teach them to evangelize. Well, Luke 9, 57 says, As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Then it was quiet. I wondered if the man didn't like that he too would not have a place to sleep because that was the end of the story for that man. Jesus knew the man would not last through the trials that Jesus would go through. Better yet, John twelve thirteen, The crowd laid palm branches at Jesus' feet and worshipped him, saying, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. The next week, the crowd shouted, Crucify him, crucify him. Luke 18.23 They had no root in the kingdom. They were excited, but when the Pharisees and religious leaders rose against Jesus to kill him, considering that his followers would be next to die, they switched sides. They were afraid of trouble or persecution because they had no root. Your faith is not an overnight faith. Three, Jesus is saying there are people who would be too worried or distracted by everyday life to bear fruit. That's verse 7. 
they're living among thorns. This group of people are those who hear the word, but they are busy with everyday life. The chase of wealth, fame, fortune, and wait, there's actually one more. It's called self-will. It's called the distractions. It is easy to get into this category, so please don't judge anyone about it. Luke 10, 40. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Maybe Martha forgot, you know, or maybe she just wasn't there when Jesus fed um, the group of two fish and five loaves of bread. She felt if she didn't prepare the meal, then who would? But as a side note, what was Mary doing? In Luke twelve forty, Mary sat at Jesus' feet listening, being attentive, concentrating on his words. I'm not saying to quit your job for those who are to work in class or to stop pursuing your passion. I'm saying recognize that God has a plan and he's already provided what you need. Your job should not be your focus nor your source, nor should your everyday life be a struggle or be stressful, full of thorns. You should be a conduit for God's blessings to flow to your job, to your co-workers and to your company, to everyone in your life. It is because that you are there that their lives are changing for the better. You bring the kingdom to them. Four, Jesus is saying there are going to be people who will receive it and grow in it. Verse eight, they're on good soil. This is where a person receives a word and holds on to it. With the word given comes persecution, Mark 4, 17. What I mean is that when you hear from God and you know it's a word unique to you or unique to your situation, it is the answer to what you are praying for. And persecution arises to shake us from believing. It is not necessarily people coming against us, but situations. The scripture says that the kingdom of God has been forcefully advancing and the violent take it by force or they lay claim to it. Matthew eleven twelve. We have to fight against doubt to believe and stand on the word, meditate on it, study it. The last group of people are actually not different from this group of people. What is different is that when life situation happens, this group of people decide to fix their eyes on Jesus instead of the problem. Luke 8.15 And the seeds that fell on good soil represent honest, good-hearted people who hear God's word, cling to it, which means they didn't let go, and they patiently produce a huge harvest. 5. Jesus is saying that God is responsible for the seed and the harvest. Sowing is used as a metaphor for teaching. So God teaches us something. He is sowing into our lives the seed we need for our situation, and he would then bring the harvest. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. 2 Corinthians 9.10 
So he is responsible for both the vision and the manifestation. But it is our responsibility to hold on to the word, study the word, meditate on the word, and he will bring it to pass. Mark 4, 26-29 He also said, This is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scattered seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the store produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it, because the harvest has come. So you are not responsible for the harvest. God is. 6. The kingdom is overflowing with abundance. A harvest at that time for the farmers was a four to tenfold, which was normal, and a harvest of fifteen was exceptional. Jesus said to those people at that time in the kingdom would receive a hundred, sixty, or thirtyfold, which was supernatural. His bottom number was double man's top number. He can and will give us above and beyond all that we can think, Ask or imagine. Ephesians 3.20 He moved his listeners from ordinary to extra. I had two words for that, I'm sorry. Extraordinary or extraordinary, I don't know. <laughs> but I have a real life example. Because a couple times I've said it and I've seen the reaction of it. My mom is healed. And as much as I would tell someone, it seems to be received with a lot of doubt. And that's maybe because of what they see or what they've experienced before. But I will tell you this. Through this process, God has revealed his word to me and in his word is his will. He planted the seed in my heart to see her normal again. And he will bring it to pass with an abundant harvest. He has shown me the moment it happens. She gets up out of the chair, turns around, completely restored. He has shown me the place it happens. It happened in the kitchen. I was taking or putting something out of the microwave, I don't remember. But he has not shown me the date or the time. And so I've been growing my faith by learning to fix my eyes on him. He has comforted me by giving me the verse from 2 Corinthians 4.18, to fix my eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, because the things seen are temporary and are subject to change, but the things unseen are forever. Her healing is completed in the will of God and it is in the unseen for right now. But as I sleep and wake, the seed sprouts and grows. Though I don't know how, all by itself it produces first a stalk, then a head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he will put the sickle to it, for the harvest has come. And right before I conclude this message, for anyone who may feel discouraged that I may be in the first, second, or third category. Do not be discouraged. You can also consider it a stage of life. See, because Peter was once in stage one, for he did not believe until he saw the miraculous catch of fish, and he cried out to Jesus to leave him alone, for he was a sinful man. He had, he had doubted Christ. Then he was in stage two, when he was all in. He told Jesus to not just wash his feet, but his whole body. He also told Jesus he would die for him, but then he denied him. He was also in stage three. He asked Jesus to walk on water, 
and Jesus told him to do it, and he was doing it. Then he saw the storm and became afraid, and he started to sink. Lastly, he was one man, but on the day of Pentecost, he spoke to the crowd, and 3,000 people were converted. See, he came to realize or discern the kingdom. So in conclusion, we are in the kingdom of God. This is where God reigns, and God rules over his creation, and we reign with him. He has given us complete access to everything that we need. He will provide the seed as the answer to our prayers, and we are to hold on to it, meditate on it, cling to it. For it is our own individual responsibility to be good ground. God will grow his word in us, and God will cause it to produce for us and for him what he created it to produce. The unusual element in each parable challenges readers to imagine the new reality of abundant life in the kingdom of God. Now turn it over to Pastor George. Thank you very much for that. Um, I'm not going to add anything to it. You did an amazing job. I'm just going to, I'm going to pray and I'm going to kind of pray on behalf of reviving on what the Holy Spirit is kind of stirring in me. And, um, Heavenly Father, I thank you for that word. I thank you that we're on this journey. It's not about, uh, discipleship is not about just a, a salvation, Lord, but it's about a journey and growing and, and, and looking at the story of, of the, the seed on the ground and, and tying it to Peter and his journey and the, and Lord just the fact that when your kingdom reigns it's not a temporary it's not a check mark you've been saved you're good to go but it's a journey of growth it's a journey of of digging that root deep and I just I think about revive and I think about our vision Lord we don't want it to be a check mark a number yes another salvation but we want to see people's story their narrative change as they grow in you and they move through the stages and and I just pray that as revived church and as just as a person myself that 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 can be our story and my story that as we go we grow and we grow in you and who we are we just pray that that your visions, your your abundance, Lord, that there's no end to your resources. That that when we're in need, when we when we have this, it seems like we've run dry. It seems like there's nothing there. That you are abundant and you are just pouring out your resources, Lord. We're so thankful for your mercy and grace. And I pray that as we leave this place, that we'll leave here on fire for who you are, that we'll leave here journeying through our story, taking the responsibility of digging in deep and and, and knowing that we are held in your hands. In your name we pray. Amen.